Welcome to episode 141 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 141 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And I guess when this podcast airs, Jen, I think it airs on the 30th of December, so almost Oh, okay. Almost New Year's. Yeah. Exciting. That is exciting. 2020 sounds like some kind of weird future. I mean, it it doesn't sound like it's happening. It sounds like, you know, the date we all thought of in the future of when we'd all have flying cars and robots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's it's real. Here it is. I don't think we'll have flying cars and robots unless you count a Roomba, which I'm not counting. Because I wanted my robots to look like C-3PO and R2-D2. Oh, my goodness. So when I was growing up, I was obsessed with robots. Like I had all the robots all the time. I really wanted – stop me from going on a robot tangent for an hour. I really, really wanted one of those Abo dog robots. Do you, did you ever see those? I think I remember them. I mean, I was – I was, when you were young, I was like teaching. So yeah, I remember them through that context. I didn't have kids yet. They were like ridiculously expensive, like $3,000. But they, they, I remember I saw one at Epcot and Disney and it looked like a real dog. And I, oh my goodness. So I got the cheap version for Christmas, like the knockoff iSibe that was like $200. <laughs> but I did have a robot called Robo Scout, I think. I had a lot of robots. It looked like C3PO, kind of. And it, it had like the remote had like a video camera so you could like see what it could see and it it had like trays so it could carry drinks and it was great. Well, that's fun. Yeah, my my childhood we had none of that. <laughs> yeah, I was the robot. Oh, I loved robots so much. Awesome. So I think I still have that Ice Ivy dog. I think it was one of the things I actually kept. I think I kept all my robot collection. <laughs> I wonder if they still make Abo. I don't know. I would like a robot that would come clean my house. And I don't just mean a Roomba. I need something that scrubs toilets. That scrubs toilets. Yeah. I was just thinking yesterday, you know, you have a Roomba when all of your appliances are unplugged. Do you have a Roomba then? Well, I have a, like a different brand. I actually really like it, but I have air filters everywhere, as you know, Jen, because I'm really into clean air. So I know I've turned on the room. It's not a Roomba, but I know I've turned it on because all the air filters would be unplugged because it goes around and like gets stuck on all the cords. Oh, okay. So like everything gets unplugged. I'm like, oh, that's been happening. <laughs> I'm just going to keep vacuuming my place by hand. Yep. 
I guess so. It's a good workout. It is. That's the way I think about it. Yep. So what's new with you? Well, I'm working working on the editorial process with my editor still with Fast Feast Repeat, available now for pre-order, and it will be out June 2nd of 2020. And it, you know, like I've talked about before, it's such a different process than self-publishing, but it's awfully nice knowing that there's now, you know, a copy editor reviewing everything and and that's fabulous. And yeah, there was something that if people pre-ordered it really early, like when I first talked about it, you may have to re-pre-order because they had it up as a paperback and a hardcover. And so there won't be a hardcover. It's just going to be a paperback. The pro- It was not like in its final version. So some people's orders got canceled. So if you pre-ordered Fast Feast Repeat, double check and make sure that the order is still there. If not, you need to re-pre-order it. And I'm sorry for that hassle. But pre-orders really are exp- are important, as Melanie knows, because if you have a solid pre-order going into it, you know, month, especially months ahead of time, that lets them know how many to print. And it also enhances the likelihood that local bookstores will, will be picking it up. So a robust pre-order is really important. So if you haven't pre-ordered it yet, I would encourage you to do that now. And if you did pre-order it, make sure you didn't have it canceled by Amazon because Amazon just got super confused when the format changed. Yeah, the um, pre-orders definitely make a huge difference. There's so many little things people don't realize make a huge difference. I feel like pre-orders, and I didn't really realize until jumping in with everything, even like reviews, because it's often like... It's like, oh, what what difference can like one review make? But they really help a lot. So yeah. So thanks to everyone who's pre-ordered and who is planning to pre-order. And thanks to everyone who's hearing this today and deciding to pre-order. You know, people wonder why is it different? Why do I need this book? And, you know, I wrote Delay Don't Deny in 2016. So we have a lot of new research, and I also know so much more than I did back in 2016. You know, in 2016, I had been running a Facebook group for a year, but now I've got so much more experience and so much more knowledge. The frequently asked questions section of the new book is huge because I I know what people ask. (laughs) I know what they ask over and over. So all those questions are there. It's really going to just be everything you need to know for intermittent fasting. And even if you've been doing it, for years, my hope is that you'll read this new book and you'll say, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, I didn't realize that. That's my goal. Because I actually learned some things when I was researching it myself. I feel like that's the way it should be. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. I know we talked about this last year, but any goals for 2020 or New Year's resolutions? I guess you said you didn't like to set New Year's resolutions, right? Yeah, I really I don't have any resolutions. I do have goals, but I don't have resolutions because there's really nothing like, like I'm the kind of person when I have like something, I feel like I need to change. Like for example, I was like, you know, I'm drinking wine a little more often than I should. So I'm just going to drink a little less wine, but I didn't wait for the new year. It was like the minute I felt like maybe I should drink a little less wine. Maybe I don't need wine seven nights a week. (laughs) I just did that. I, you know, I don't, I don't like to wait. So I don't have resolutions. I do have goals, but My goals are more long-term instead of like 2020 related. Yeah, that's the way I am here. Same. Yeah. You know, every year I had the lose weight goal or resolution, I guess. Every year was going to be the year I conquered my weight, and now I don't have to make that one anymore. So I really don't have anything that I'm trying to conquer, which is fabulous. I guess my, my ongoing goal is conquering my 
wonky digestive state. But you you work on that every day. It's not like I'm going to wait till January and then I'm going to really work on that. You know, <laughs> you don't have anything new. True. I do, actually do sort of have a goal for 2020. Okay, what is that? It's me being super late to the party. Super late. <laughs> I want to actually start like posting on Instagram. (laughs) Good. So you want to be like a regular Instagrammer? Well, I just, I feel like it's a great avenue for sharing because people always want to know, they they always want to like see the things I talk about and stuff, like all the weird biohacking and all the stuff. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should actually try to, I feel like Instagram would be a good platform for that. Cause like I have my Facebook group and everything, but I feel like I'm just like, I don't know. I've always been really hesitant about Instagram because I'm not like a selfie person and I'm not like, I'm very shy (laughs) and introverted, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just biting the bullet. So if people want to follow me at Melanie Avalon, I'm going to try to start posting. Now see, I never would have thought of you as shy and introverted. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm very, yeah, I'm just very, yeah. All right. Well, see, now I just learned something about you that I didn't know before. I guess I'm not like a social butterfly or anything like that. So yeah, (laughs) I like loathe selfies. That's why I think I always never jumped on the Instagram train. Yeah, I don't take a ton of selfies either (laughs) because I I don't know what to do with my face because I'm like trying to concentrate on getting the button. I don't know. That sounds really stupid, but I'm 50. I'm allowed to (laughs) have trouble with Instagram and selfies, (laughs) but I, I always look goofy in the photo. So I don't, I don't know how to hold my face right. Yeah, not a fan. I'm complete opposite. My sister's like selfie, like queen, like all the time. Some people are great at it. So yeah, I'm gonna try to to post things. I realize it doesn't have to be me, so that'll be easier. Like I can post pictures of other things. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yeah, let's get started. First of all, we have a question from Amy, and the subject is physical signs when in a fasted state. Amy says, hello, I have just started listening to your podcasts recently on my daily commute to and from work. I've been doing IF for about three weeks now. So far, I love it. I had a bad relationship with food, and this has really helped me realize that I'm truly not going to starve to death. I don't need to eat as often or as much as I thought I did. My question is, how do you know when you're in a fasted state? Are there any physical signs to look for to know? I understand it usually takes about 12 hours to reach the fasted state, but curious if there are any actual signs or symptoms to let me know. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Yeah. So this was a really interesting question because when I was thinking about it, I realized that I guess there's technically a, Jen, do you think there's technically a difference between like the fasted state and being in ketosis? Well, I mean, you can be in ketosis and not in the fasted state if you're like eating foods that put you, you know, that your body's making ketones from. But if you're not eating and you're in ketosis, that's from fasting. But I feel like uh, you could be, because when I'm thinking about like, what is the fasted state, I guess technically it's when you're not running off of food in your digestive tract. So you're running off of body fat stores, ketones, you know, I guess you you could be in the fasted state and not be in ketosis if you're still depleting glycogen stores. Yeah, that's, yeah. So, yeah, you don't, yeah. So I think you don't have to be in ketosis to be in the fasted state now that, you know, when you think about it like that. Yeah, because I never really like thought about it. And 
this question made me think about it. So, but as far as like typical signs and such, I mean, that's why I was thinking about it too, because we often do the signs of ketosis, but I was like, well, technically might not all be, you know, completely that it could be other things as well. But I feel like it's a lot of like subjective stuff (laughs) that people may or may not experience. And I was also thinking like, there's not really any way of measuring it because we can't really say, oh, you can measure blood. You know, you can't measure like blood sugar levels. I mean, you can measure ketones, but like we just said, you could be producing ketones and be fed. So there's not really any like blood biomarker you could measure. There's no way to know, you know, if there's food still being processed, you know, a certain part of your digestive tract. So I guess it's more just subjective science. People tend to experience a sense of mental clarity, People experience the keto breath, which can, you know, smell like acetone or different smells for different people. What different signs would you say, Jen? Yeah, I I think you're right with that. That's, you know, those are signs that your body is fat adapted and that you're, you're able to run on stored fat for fuel. But, you know, the fasted state just means that you're not running on the foods you're not the, the fed state means you're running on the foods that you consumed so once you're done with all the energy from those foods that you consumed like right that moment like that meal that would be when you'd be in the fed i mean in the fasted state and in the fasted state your body's going to shift fuel sources to sources that are already on hand like it could be the fat it could be your glycogen stores you could be in ketosis maybe you're not there yet but yeah once you're Someone who's been doing intermittent fasting for a while, you can feel that shift when your body switches over to ketosis. But yeah, that's a great question, Amy. And there is no like, boom, there it is. It really just depends on so many things. And it might not be 12 hours. It could be more than 12 hours. It could be less than 12 hours. It just depends. This is so true. It's so interesting. We've had, you know, 141 episodes and I I don't think we've actually technically answered this question. You know, it seems like such a basic question. Well, yeah, the question is what exactly is the fasted state? And, you know, we all know that when you have to go in for a fasted medical test, they'll tell you not to eat for, you know, after a certain time so that you're, quote, fasted. And in that regard, they consider, you know, nothing after midnight to be the fasted state, right? Is that how they define it? Or usually, well, I don't know. I feel like it's different things. It's like haven't eaten for a certain amount of hours. Right. Then there's also the question of like, you can vary how long it takes to get into the fasted state based on, you know, how much food you ate before, which I think people often don't take into account and how long it takes to digest. And there's just so many factors. So that's why I think it's honestly almost not worth worrying about. (laughs) Just commit to a window and just know it'll happen eventually. So yeah, I am in complete agreement with that. Which actually kind of relates to the next question. Okay. So the next question comes from Jane. The subject is length of fast versus length of eating window. And Jane says, hello, ladies. Love you both so much. My work schedule causes me to have to be flexible with my schedule. I've read all of your books and appetite correction among others. I am on day 13 of this lifestyle and have been focusing on keeping my eating window at or under five hours every day. That means sometimes my fast goes 20 to 21 hours on some days, but only 16 hours on others. What is better? Should I be focused on keeping my fast at or above 19 hours more than the eating window at or under five hours? I know doing both is the best, but what if one has to give because of my work schedule? Which one is more important? My goals are health first, but I also want to lose 30 pounds. I'm 52 and super healthy. 
I have just slowly put on 30 pounds over the last few years and want to get back to feeling more comfortable and fit. I can't thank you enough for all you do for all of us. What a gift you both are. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, that's a great question. And we do hear that all the time. And people are going to have a different answer to it depending on what feels right to you and also perhaps even what your goals are. And let me explain. For me, I found when I was trying to lose weight, it worked best for me to make sure my eating window was five hours or less every day. And that's because the longer my eating window, the more food I would eat. And so if I was trying to lose weight, I needed a shorter window, less eating, right? So, you know, if I fasted for 27 hours and then kept my eating window open for 10 hours, you know, that the long fast was great, but then I, I ate a whole lot of food to make up for it. So I wasn't probably going to lose any weight there. Of course, if you're doing alternate daily fasting with, with the up and down day approach, that would be a different answer. But if you're just trying to have a daily eating window, for me, it worked to be focused on keeping the eating window at five hours or less. And then even if one day it shifted earlier and the next day it shifted later, because of math and the way there are 24 hours in a day, if your eating window averages five hours or less, mathematically, your fast averages 19 hours or more. So that one day it might be 20 or 21 is offset by the, the day that it might be 16, but it still averages out. So that's what I found. Now, some people tend to focus on the fast and they feel better if they, they focus on that. So if you want to say, I will always make sure I fast at least 19 hours because I, we know that fat burning tends to ramp up on average between hours 18 to 24. So you may want to say, I always want to get into that fat burning. And so I want to have a fast of at least 18 to 19 hours every day. And then I'll just let my eating window be what it is. You know, that might work for you too. A lot of people like to track the fast. But for me, I enjoyed tracking my eating window and finding that the fast would just average out. Because, you know, a little shorter fast one day, it's going to end up being a little longer the next day. And it was very easy for me to shift my eating window around and then just let the fast be what it was. Yeah, this is a great question. And Jen and I have discussed it a lot because I always count the fast and then Jen counts the eating window typically. But the more I think about it, I think as far as the health benefits go, I mean, either way, it's going to work out the same, kind of like Jen has said, because as long as you're committing to some sort of window, it's going to happen. The more I think about it, if you want the, the health benefits of fasting, you do need to make sure you're going a minimum amount of time. And then the way I see it is once you're in the fed window, if it's not about weight loss, if it's just about health, you'll get the health benefits from doing fast. And then if you're in the, if you're in the eating window, you could in theory, you know, keep eating longer. And then if you do another fast, you're still going to get the health benefits compared to the opposite being if you never count the fast. And But eventually it will. There's 24 hours in a day. If your eating window is five hours or less, your fast is average 19 hours or more. That's just math. It came off wrong because I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about like the math of it because the math will work out the same either way. We've talked about that a lot. I'm just saying if we're not looking at it as like a 24 hour doing this every day, how is this going to work out thing? If we're just looking at fasting versus eating, fasting is where the health benefits of fasting are coming in. What I'm comparing it to is like an ADF type thing because in that situation, you're fasting way longer and then you're eating longer too. But in theory, you could be eating like 
less, but the emphasis is on the fast. I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. The health benefits are coming from going a certain amount of time in the fasted state. And then once you eat, you're creating the recovery mechanisms, the growth, the renewal. So it's just a perspective thing. But when you practically implement it, it doesn't really matter if you're doing it every single day because of math, like Jen said. And I also think it's important not to feel like you have to eat for whatever eating one day the whole time. Like five hours or less eating window is what worked for me. So one day it might be three and the next day it might be you know, five. And one day it might be six because that's how life worked out. But it it just averages out over time. And I don't want you to get, what I don't want you to do is this. I don't want you to be like, you know what? I've got this event coming up at, at work and everyone is eating and I have to wait 15 more minutes to get to 19 hours. So I'm going to sit here and wait. You know, that kind of rigidity is not what I would recommend for intermittent fasting as a lifestyle. So, you know, break it at 18 hours and 45 minutes because that's close enough. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I used to be when I first started. (laughs) What, you would be that rigid where you're like staring at your clock? And some people are, and some people need that to help them develop the habit. But really ask yourself, you know, is it helping you to do that? Maybe it is. For me, using that app and starting and stopping and opening and closing, that really helped for me. But You don't want to be so rigid that you're like sitting there with a plate of food and watching the 30 seconds count down. (laughs) I mean, you know, that just eventually you'll lose that kind of thinking. Exactly. All right. So I go on to the next question. Yes. This is from Amanda. And the subject is when to weigh in. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I've been binging your podcast since I first discovered it in October. I'm a traveling speech therapist, so I go through podcasts like crazy during my workday since my office is my car. I must say, yours is hands down the best I have come across. Yay, thank you, Amanda. Since I discovered your podcast six weeks ago, I have started my intermittent fasting lifestyle and am down about seven pounds. I typically will complete a 19 to 22 hour fast, followed by a one to two hour eating window with a 16 8 window on the weekends. I also try to sneak in some cardio two to three times a week at the end of my fast to get all of those fat burning benefits. I used to worry so much about being in the car all day and having to stop between patients to get food, but doing IF has made my workday so much easier. Instead of having to worry about when my next meal is or stressing about eating three super healthy meals a day, I simply complete my fast and then savor one feast of veggies, protein, and an occasional dessert here and there. It is truly so much easier to eat healthy when you have to worry about making one meal count rather than three plus a snack. I am currently about halfway through the episodes, but I figured I would write in anyway. Forgive me if these have already been answered, but I had two main questions I have yet to hear discussed. The first is related to weighing in. I'm a numbers girl, so I have always weighed myself every day or every few days to stay on track. I sometimes get too focused on numbers and will will weigh myself multiple times throughout the day just out of curiosity. I have always been told that the best time to weigh yourself is right in the morning. However, since my window is open late at night, I'm wondering if the number on the scale in the morning is truly indicative of my accurate weight. I noticed I'm about two to three pounds heavier in the morning compared to right at the end of my fast. Which number is more accurate? Should I be weighing myself at the end of my fast rather than in the morning? Any advice or insight on this would be lovely. This is a great question. (laughs) 
it's funny because she talks about like, she doesn't know if it's reflective of her quote, true weight. And it's, it makes you think like, what, you know, what is weight, you know, because why, why would one weight be true and another weight not true? Right. Yeah. I, that also stuck out to me. We assume that weight is only related to fat and then it's like, oh, it's water weight. So that is like not, that's different. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's like, uh, anyways, I'm not directing this at her. I'm just like the whole weight concept just kind of drives me crazy. I would suggest not weighing constantly all day. If you find weighing helpful for your sanity, I mean, I would suggest not weighing at all, but if you find it helpful for your sanity, I would just weigh at the same time of day, like once rather than, because otherwise you can get all in your head about everything. I know Jen, you do the, you were the once a week, right? No. Oh wait, I thought you did the weekly average thing. Yeah. Weekly averaging requires that you weigh daily so that you can. All right. True. True. Sorry. I would definitely say though, pick like pick a time morning or evening and weigh at the same time, because I think that would give you the best idea over time. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with that. And I used to do the same thing. I would get on the scale a bunch of times and see what would happen during the day. And it was always interesting. And, you know, sometimes if I was fasting, my weight would be lower and at the, towards the end of the fast, but sometimes it would be higher because I'd been having a lot of beverages that day and the beverages weighed a lot or you really, you know, it's a lot more useful to pick one time of the day. And that's when you want to weigh in. If it's right before your window opens every day, do that. But for me, it was easier. You know, I wasn't always at home right before my window opened. So the one time I was always home was first thing in the morning, I would take off my clothes, go to the bathroom, exhale, get on the scale. <laughs> and that was the weight I would record. I do believe in the power of daily weighing with weekly averaging or some sort of way to monitor your trend because of the way weight fluctuates. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the only time I ever stuck with intermittent fasting and didn't quit was once I started using daily weighing with weekly averaging. So I would get on the scale every morning, weigh myself, and then I would write that down. And then the next day, same thing. I would write that down. And I have all of the weight records from back then. And my weight would go up and down and up and down, like one of those you know stock tickers where it's up and down and you see a jagged up and then a jagged down. And it was, it would look like I might be gaining weight for a few days and then it would go down. So once a week, and I cannot remember exactly what book gave me this idea, it might have been the cap carbohydrate addicts diet, or maybe it was Dr. Burt Hearing, but it was one of those, I think, that said once a week, find your weekly average. So you add up all the seven weights and divide by seven. So every Friday, I would find my weekly average and I would compare it to the previous weekly average. And it didn't matter what my Friday weight was. The only thing that mattered was what was last week's weekly average. You know, I have examples in both Delay, Don't Deny and in the new book that's coming out where I would look at Friday to Friday and my Friday to Friday weight might actually be up. Like if I only weighed on Fridays, I would have thought I had gained weight that week, but my weekly average was actually down. So you've got to have some way of knowing what your overall trend is doing because that's all that matters. I actually interviewed Russ Shanahan for intermittent fasting stories a while back, and he is the creator of Happy Scale, which is a fabulous app. It's only available for the iOS ecosystem, but I'm sure there are things like that you can find for Android as well. But it actually... Wait, ecosystem? Well, I don't know. You know what I mean. The iOS world. I know, I know. I just had never <laughs> heard ecosystem applied to technology. That's funny. Maybe I made it up. Maybe other people use it, but you know what I meant, meant by it, right? It just, it reminds me of 
the takeaway quote from this upcoming week's Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast was you cannot micromanage an ecosystem referring to the gut microbiome. Okay, moving on. Oh, yeah. You also can't micromanage the Apple ecosystem because they do that for you. <laughs> anyway, that was that they're very tightly controlled over there, but they also have fabulous quality apps. And I love Russ Shanahan's app. And so the way Happy Scale works is it shows you your overall trend and it kind of gives you like a curve that's happening and a color. So it like shades in under the curve. And if it's green, even if your weight is going up and down and you can't see the trend yourself, if it's green, then mathematically, you know, your trend is going down. And if your overall trend is going up, it'll show red on the curve. So you can really keep track of if you're going in the right direction, then your actual day-to-day measurements become meaningless. Because just like Melanie said, we have no such thing as our, quote, true weight. Because the weight of your body at any given moment is a combination of everything that's inside of you at that time. Yes, it's fat. Yes, it's muscle. Yes, it's bone. It's your hair. It's your poop. It's your your gut microbes. It's how much fluid your lymphatic system is retaining. How much water's in your bladder? It's so many things. So, or liquid, you know what I mean by that, liquid in your bladder. But it's not just here is your weight. So there is no such thing as your true weight, except that every time you get on the scale, that is your true weight at that moment. So true. (laughs) Right? And it's going to vary. It's your true weight according to gravity on earth. At that moment. Right. Exactly. Hi, friends. We hope you're enjoying the show. We also hope you had some fantastic holidays with some fantastic feasting. And if one of the things you love to feast on is meat and or seafood, we have got to tell you about one of our favorite companies on the planet, supporting healthy, sustainable versions of that. And that's ButcherBox. We are so thankful for ButcherBox. They make it easy to get high quality, humanely raised meat that you can trust. So the way it works is every month they deliver 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. Yes, grass-finished. That's actually really hard to find. Free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door. And shipping is free. Their standards are amazing, which is one of the reasons I really personally wanted to work with them. They are committed to humanely raising animals that are never given antibiotics or added hormones. They support practices which minimize stress in the animals. They've got heritage breed pork, which is the old world pork that happened before modern conventional methods bred out all the fat flavor and some of the nutrition along with it. And their salmon is pure, wild, sustainably harvested from Bristol Bay, Alaska. They've also partnered with fishermen who uphold strict fishing and handling practices to guarantee the highest quality. I just brought over some of the salmon to my mom the other week. And she just called to tell me how amazing it tasted. I'm not making this up. Basically, by the way, I have to go literally bring stuff to my family to get them to use it. But when they do, they love it. ButcherBox is also super affordable because they take out the middleman, which is the grocery stores. They make it possible to buy high quality meat at a lower cost and pass those savings along to you. What I really love is they have a lot of different options with their boxes so you can really find one that works for you. And they have an amazing offer for our listeners. You can sign up now and get $20 off your first box plus two pounds of wild-caught Alaskan salmon. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast or enter the promo code ifpodcast at checkout. 
Again, that's two pounds of sustainably caught wild Alaskan salmon, all for free, plus $20 off your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast or enter the promo code ifpodcast at checkout. So if you're feeling a little stuffed from the holidays, ButcherBox is definitely the way to go to bring in clean, nourishing meat and seafood into your diet for 2020. All right, now back to the show. My second question is a little more open-ended. I was wondering if you ladies could review some tips or ways to boost your metabolism. I know IF allows us to be in a fat-burning state, but I'm really trying to find ways to maximize fat burning. Thanks for all of your research, hard work, and enlightenment on all things related to IF. Keep those podcasts coming. Lots of love from Long Island, New York, Amanda. All right. So boosting metabolism. So we do see even, we discussed like that study, that recent study in Cell Magazine or Cell Journal, whatever it's called, on ADF. And it found that, you know, even 36-hour fasts, despite decreased T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, energy expenditure didn't change. So metabolism wasn't affected. We actually see short-term boosts in metabolism often with fasting. So that's awesome. But as far as boosting beyond that, there are are a lot of different things. So coffee, (laughs) black coffee can help boost metabolism. So drinking that during your fast, doing things like high-intensity interval training, HIIT, that's a good way to boost your metabolism and actually creates a an extended, they call it like the afterburn where your your metabolic rate stays high for an extended period of time afterwards. So when it comes to exercise, that's a good way to go. Things like sauna, those that can burn a significant amount of calories just laying there or standing there, I guess, depending where you are. Food, the type of food you're having can affect metabolism. So a lot, there are a lot of foods that are going to really slow your metabolism. Polyunsaturated fats have a tendency to do that. That's been proposed as a reason that, you know, stocking up for the winter, like squirrels and stuff, eating lots of um, like nuts and things like that, which are, they have a metabolic slowdown effect. Also been posited by the repeat people that even quote healthy polyunsaturated fats, like even omega-3s and things like that would slow down the metabolism compared to things like saturated fats, especially like coconut oil, ones that are thermogenic may support metabolism. Things like protein and carbs tend to have a metabolic boost effect to them compared to just fat in general, with the exception of like MCTs and yeah, which I just said about the coconut oil and stuff. Things like cold exposure can boost metabolism or just actually staying in an ambient temperature that's slightly cooler than normal. You can burn more calories. They'll actually see that. They've done studies where they put people in environments that are slightly chilled and they burn more calories. Yeah. Just staying active. Lots of things. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah. Even like being a fidgeter like me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Neat. So NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So that's like burning calories from all the things that we don't consider on-purpose movement. So so like not exercise, it's things like fidgeting or just moving around or like laughing or just even doing like, I think we could even consider things like cleaning because you're not doing it for the movement, you know, benefits. And the difference in meat for different people is shocking. Like some people, some people can burn up to a thousand calories more per day just from their natural meat system. 
And I think that can explain a lot of differences in people, you know, who struggle with different weights compared to others. Well, I think so too, because it's so much more complicated than just, you know, some kind of a formula that only takes into account, you know, the your weight and your age, you know, because we're also very different yep. with what's going on. You know, your gut microbiome can even make a difference with, with how much you're burning or how efficient your body runs. So, so many, so many factors. You know, Melanie talked at the beginning of that answer about the um, the research on ADF, alternate daily fasting, the up and down day method. But really, that is a great way. If, you, if you're somebody who thinks that your metabolism may be slowed due to long-term dieting, or if you suspect that you've been doing the daily eating window approach and being way too consistent, and so you're plateaued for a good bit of time, and you're kind of stuck in a rut of how much you're eating and your weight isn't budging, the alternate daily fasting protocol can really help with boosting that metabolic rate. And so you have the down day where you're doing the longer fast, 36 to 42 hours, and and that gives you that little boost. But then you also have the up day where you're eating in an eating window of, you know, let's say six to 12 hours and you're eating more food. So the research on alternate daily fasting, I've mentioned this before, but the participants were eating up to about 110% of their, quote, daily caloric needs, even though we just said that was a very rough thing to estimate, they found they were eating more food than would have been indicated as their maintenance level. So the up days are very protective of metabolic rate. So that would be something I would do if I suspected my metabolism had slowed. And I've said before, I think I naturally do vary my eating. So that helps my body keep things changed up. And I will say, I know I keep hitting it home, but the more I research the types of food you're eating, I really, really think polyunsaturated fats have a big effect on metabolism. Well, I actually, yeah, I have a section in the new book, Fast, Feast, Repeat, where I talk about foods and calories and the way the foods are processed. Just like, you know, for example, if you ate a raw almond whole versus the same exact raw almond that's now been processed and turned into almond butter. Your body's going to be able to access the calories or the energy in that differently. One of the, you know, eating the raw almond, your body has to do more work. And so it actually is going to turn up the the energy used to process it. It's just fascinating. Yeah. And then, I mean, on top of that, because what I'm speaking to is like, I, I keep referencing Ray Pete, but the nature of how fats are, how they affect the body and how they affect the thyroid, which would be, I mean, which does relate to metabolic function. Certain types of fats seem to reduce thyroid while others increase activity or support it. So I'm just saying if people are struggling with weight loss and they've, even if they've tried like going all natural or doing whole foods, try cutting out the nuts and the the poofas and see what happens. Just try it. Just throwing it out there. All right, so we're ready for the next question. Yes. And this one is from Whitney. The subject is question about naltrexone. Is that how you say it, naltrexone? Mm -hmm. Okay, so from just the way I'm reading the question, everyone will know that Melanie is going to be the expert on this one. So I'm like, what is that? Okay. Hi, ladies. I can't thank you enough for your podcast and all of the wisdom you bring to our lives each week. Melanie, you've mentioned low-dose naltrexone a couple of times, but I haven't been able to find an episode where you discuss it in detail. Could you share a bit more about its benefits and your personal experience with taking it? Thank you again for all that you do. 
Yeah. So I do get a lot of questions about this. So now Trexone in like the full dose version is actually used to treat alcohol addiction typically because it blocks opioid receptors. So if you're on like the full version, you basically would get no pleasurable effect from alcohol. That's the idea there. In low doses though, which is why it's called low dose naltrexone, it temporarily blocks your body's opioid receptors. So then your body thinks that it needs more endorphins and it rebounds and creates more endorphins, which are very, very healing and supportive of the body. So it's unlike a lot of pharmaceuticals because a lot of pharmaceuticals either provide like a pharmaceutical version of the, you know, natural compound. So then you might downregulate your natural production of it. So it has a, has the risk of, you know, withdrawals or going off of it might be difficult or with things like SSRIs, which can benefit a lot of people, but they can also play with like, they can make things slightly off with the natural serotonin production. Lotus naltrexone actually doesn't have any negative effects like that. It just makes your body better at producing endorphins. Kind of like we talk about CBD oil, which can actually regulate the cannabinoid system, but doesn't create an addictive potential or anything like that. It has really just a healing benefit. Same with low-dose naltrexone. People find it really helpful for a lot of things. It's often used to treat autoimmune conditions. I think that's probably the main thing. I was initially prescribed it as a prokinetic, so to support gut motility, but I kept it for the anti-inflammatory benefits. People use it for sleep, there's a few really good Facebook groups. So I will put links to those because people, you know, can discuss at length. If you're interested, I would join one of them and scope around. I do want to have an episode actually on it in the future on my other podcast, if I can find the right source for it. Um, as far as getting it prescribed, most functionally minded doctors and practitioners are very familiar with it. So like, it's funny, like every conventional doctor I've seen, if I list LDN on my thing, they're like, what is that? But every functionally minded doctor I've seen, they're like, oh, this is so great that you're on this. So it's very like embraced and supported in the the holistic health community. It's I always say it's like one of the few pharmaceuticals that I can like really, really get behind. So And so you what what are you specifically looking for when you take it? Like Well, I first was prescribed it in like 2014, like I said, for gut motility, but I kept it because it it just has a very like anti-inflammatory effect. Um, It helps my sleep when I go off of it. I, and then I go back on it, which has only been a few times. I definitely notice a difference. So I just, I think it's a good one to have in the arsenal. I remember I was talking with, um, I think Dr. Kim Brown on my podcast and it came up. He was saying it was beneficial for a lot of people with gut issues, but he was saying that he was a fan of it. And if you're on it, just stay on it because it helps. Oh, he was saying, I think he was saying he saw a lot of help with people's autoimmune conditions with it. Yeah. Things like Crohn's disease and MS. Well, no, no, not just, not just IBS related, all types of like autoimmune, but that, that as well, that as well. The one big side effect people may experience is it is often used for sleep, but getting your dosage right could be crazy. And a lot of people experience really intense nightmares at the beginning. So yeah, but that's that. All right. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> you knew I probably wouldn't, right? I don't have anything to add there. Okay. Well, good. I hope that answered all of Whitney's questions. It's definitely interesting. It is really interesting. Do you find that it affects the way you enjoy wine at all? Does it affect? No. <laughs> I I had an epiphany about how I think people are often misunderstood by the conventional medical system because when I was having 
some anemia issues. I had to go to the hospital to get that addressed. And I listed low-dose naltrexone like on my, my chart. And like, you know, there's like doctor notes. <laughs> so I asked for all the doctor notes at the end of the visit, which by the way, guys, if you're wondering, you can ask for those and we'll give them to you. So I was like reading the notes and everything. And then like one of the like one of the doctors had like written in there something to the effect of how I had said I wasn't drinking a lot, but they noticed that naltrexone was listed on my list. And I was like, see, if I hadn't read the note, I wouldn't have even known that that had happened. But um, it just goes to show, I think, how like oftentimes you might not be completely understood or seen by a medical professional because they were assuming I was lying about my alcohol intake and I was on naltrexone to address alcohol addiction when that's not at all what the case was. I just remember being like so shocked by that. I was like, oh, that's that's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch Seinfeld? No. Well, I mean, I mean, I know what it is and it was always playing, but no. Okay. Well, we've watched them all a million times because we've watched them. We like to record and just watch and watch and watch <laughs> over and over again. So there's one episode where Elaine is at the doctor's office and they were writing in her chart. And she's like, um, I noticed in the chart, you said it was difficult. And I remember that day and you wanted me to put on the gown, but I had worn a tank top on purpose. So I didn't need to have the gown because it was on my shoulder. And then the doctor's like, well, I'll just erase it. And so he pretends like he's erasing it. And she's like, it was written in pen. So then he starts writing something else on her chart. <laughs> and she's like, what are you writing? What are you writing? And then she was like so upset. She was trying to steal the chart. <laughs> So she could get all that out of the chart. Then she went to another doctor and the chart followed her there. Anyway, it was just really funny. And it made me think of that because, you know, if I tried to ask for my chart, I would think of Elaine. It's so funny. Well, that was the first time I'd ever read a chart of myself. And I was like, oh, this is what it's like. Because I, you know, you read like patient studies, like, you know, in Google Scholar or like you're doing research and it's like patient. And there's like, you read like, you know, the, the notes or the charts or like case studies. And I'm like, it was so weird to see that perspective, but like about me. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that somebody thought that. Well, no, just like because I'm I whenever I read studies and they'll talk about patients or case studies, I never see it as like a real person in a way. I see it as like a study and like this happened and this was the outcome. Like I don't see it as like, oh, this was like a real person. And so then reading <laughs> the chart about me. It's written in that same language, you know, patient, da, 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 da. da. And I'm like, this is like a talking about me. Like this is a real person. <laughs> it was really, it was weird. All right. So the next question comes from Susanna. Subject is questions. And Susanna says, I appreciate your podcast. I have only listened to about 25 of your episodes. So I apologize if my questions have been covered. However, I feel they are relatively specific. I'm a 38-year-old female who has never been overweight or had weight issues, but intermittent fasting appealed to me for multiple reasons. Your statements that it helps with inflammation and energy is very appealing to me. I also wouldn't mind tightening up just a tad and to be able to stay fit as I age. So I have been doing 16-8 on average for three weeks. How long before it's expected to see and feel changes? I still feel the hunger challenging. I have also exchanged my careful, clean eating and not drinking alcohol, speaking of, for a slightly more laid back approach of four to eight ounces of wine some nights and no longer being overly concerned about eating a moderate dessert. I should finish reading her question, but I just thought of something. Remind me. Basically, I am wondering, am I on the right track? 
Do I need to tighten up more or can I continue on my regime? We do this. I do this every time, right? Regime. The the way she has it written, that is regime. Regimen is spelled differently, but that is the word regime. Guys, we do that. I do this every time, as you know. (laughs) And see results soon. So she said, do I need to tighten up more or can I continue on my regime and see results soon? The thought that I had was that alcohol actually does have a thermogenic effect in the body. We're talking about boosting metabolism. Ironically enough, it actually does boost metabolism in the short term. But anyways, so the question, thoughts, Jen? All right. So does Susanna need to tighten up more or can she continue on like she is? And the answer is, I don't know. You'll have to see, which might sound awful because it didn't answer your question at all, <laughs> but you will know. So let me let me make it a longer answer. You'll know if you need to tighten up more or not when you see what happens for you over time. There are people who can find all the results they're looking for with 16.8, but there are a lot of people out there who do not find weight loss results from 16.8. So you'll just have to see which is true for you. And so, you know, you've only been doing this for three weeks. And at this point, you know, your body is still adjusting to IF. So it's very typical not to lose weight at first, really for everybody. Well, I mean, not everybody. For a lot of people, it's typical to not lose weight at first. And there might be many reasons as to why not. First of all, you're not fat adapted. So your appetite signals are not going to be really kicked in yet because you're not going to be well-fueled during the fast. And so while you're fasting, you're not really tapping efficiently into your fat stores. So when you open your window, you may find the urge to overeat. So you're eating more. Once your body adjusts to the fast, you're tapping into your fat stores efficiently. Then suddenly you're well-fueled during the fast. And then when your window opens, you don't need to eat as much food to feel satisfied. That happens For most of us. So right now you could possibly be overeating in your eating window and not losing weight. And then over time, maybe you'll feel better. You won't need to eat as much. And then you'll find that you'll see slow and steady weight loss. For me, however, 16-8 was never enough to lose weight because 16 hours of fasting is just not quite enough to get into that fat burning that we talked about earlier in this episode of you know, it really ramps up between hours 18 to 24. So with 16, 8, you're not ever getting there. But also, you know, I mentioned that I needed an eating window of five hours or less because I tended to eat too much in a longer eating window. So you really 16, 8, not enough fasting to really get the good fat burning and a longer eating window. So you're more likely to eat more food than your body needs. So I would predict that tightening up will probably help you with weight loss, but I can't say 100% sure that you will need to. You'll just have to see what happens because there are people where 16-8 is their sweet spot and it just happens to do with you know how much you eat at a time. I have a really healthy appetite, let's just say. I like to eat big meals. So if you're somebody who likes to eat a little bit here, a little bit there, maybe 16-8 will be perfect for you and you'll find that it gets you to all of your weight loss goals. Especially, you know, you said you've never been overweight or had weight issues and you're just trying to work on inflammation and energy. You just want to tighten up a tad. You know, my husband does 16-8 just for the health benefits and he sounds exactly like you. So you'll just have to see. I can't answer your question, but you will know over time and you can tighten it up and tweak it if you need to. But if you are finding that you're adding in more than you had been having, 
you know, you weren't having the wine, you weren't having the dessert, now you're relaxing. You could even see that you're going to start gaining weight slowly with 16-8, you know, because you're eating in a more relaxed way than you had been before. There are just so many possibilities and so many things that could happen, and you'll only know after you see what happens for you. I feel like I just rambled my way through that answer, so I hope that it made sense. Yeah, I agree. I'm on the the same page about everything. You really do just have to see what happens. And I think it's nice. I like that she's has tried to approach where she's not as strict about everything because I think I think that's a healthy mindset to be open to tweaking things if needed. So trying to be more lax, but then also being open to tighten things up if you need. So just, you know, being open to fiddling with things and what's the, the phrase you always say, Jen? Like tweak it until it tweak it till it's easy. Yeah. So which is completely possible. I think that's probably the way to go. Yep. That's what I think too, because you just really have to see. And honestly, if there were any, you know, one exact way that worked for everybody, we would we would all, you know, be saying that, but there isn't. It's all a matter of, of finding what works for you. There really isn't. Somebody might do great with a one hour window, whereas that's exactly wrong for somebody else. Somebody might need an eight hour window because the shorter windows are too stressful for their body. It's just, it's so complicated. Yeah, I was actually just listening to a really fascinating episode. It was on Dr. Ruscio, who I just had on the podcast. I love him so much. Dr. Ruscio and Stefan Guillenay, who I would love to have on my podcast as well. And Guillenay is a big proponent of the, of calories. Like that weight loss and weight gain is about calories, but that the hyperpalatability of food today, and it, it relates to the brain. Like he thinks it's really all in the brain. So like our brain makes us want more based on environment and what we're eating and processed foods and things like that. But in the end, it's about calories. Like, like there was that, he had that, he went head to head. He's, he's known for going head to head with Gary Tobbs because, you know, Tobbs is a big proponent of like, you know, insulin. It's not as much about calories. There was actually a really good debate between them on Joe Rogan. Coming back to this though, something fascinating he said, which kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier. Did you know, Jen, that if a food tastes like really good to us, it's going to be less filling. Like, so if you make some sort of food combination where it tastes really, really good, and then you make another food combination where it doesn't to you taste as good, but it might be the same amount of calories even, you're going to want to eat way more of the one that tastes really good because your body actually interprets it as this is something good to stock up on. So it actually is less likely to make you full. So it affects your appetite signals. Like you're less likely to get the I'm full. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, because he was saying that, like, when it comes to controlling weight and things like that, that it really is about hacking what you're eating and creating the environment that will not make your brain keep wanting more. So that's things like getting rid of cues that make you want to eat more, not using, like, lots of ingredients together in foods because that increases hyperpalatability. So, like, more monotype dietary approaches tend to increase fullness. And then things like fiber increase fullness. There's lots of different things. So it was a good episode. I'll put a link to it on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like playlist on the Himalaya app, which, speaking of, we are a Himalaya partner show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So, yep. So this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 
141. I realized I stopped saying this. You can get all the stuff we like. <laughs> we always talk about things we like. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, that's where we put a link to all of the stuff that we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. You can follow me on Instagram now. I mean, I was already on Instagram, but like I wasn't really doing it, but that's Melanie Avalon. What's your Instagram, Jen? It's Jen Stevens. You can follow us both. You can follow us on Twitter, which I never really got engaged with, but we are the IF pod. Well, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.